Hi, and welcome back to In Their Own League podcast. I'm your host, B Garner, aka the Film B, and I'm back with some wonderful um, contributors who are going to talk to me today all about um, representation of mental health uh, in films. We um, they've all taken um, some picks. We're going to discuss them. We're also going to talk about films that haven't done it justice so it's going to be an interesting um podcast and i hope everybody uh learns something and takes away something uh in this episode so without any further ado let's get um into it um so first up i've got james how are you doing james I'm very well, thank you, Bianca. Um, I'm back in the UK for the lockdown due to a bit of unfortunate timing, and my body, um, having been used to living in New Zealand, has actually grown unaccustomed to British pollen. So if I sneeze, splutter, or make an unattractive phlegm noise, I do apologise. Oh, no, that's okay, as long as it's, you know, not coughing, um, I think <laughs> we'll be all right. Oh, no, in, in, in that regard, I'm all fine and great. Okay, that's good. And uh, we've also got Kate coming in from the States. How are you doing, Kate? I'm doing well. Yeah, are you, um, how's things over there? (laughs) Uh, fun. Uh, My area is pretty good. Um, University town handling things well, so. Nice. Should be fine. We've got all those eggheads, um, thinking (laughs) sensibly. (laughs) And delivery Starbucks, so we're good. Oh, oh my gosh. I actually, I made iced coffee today um, by myself and oh. it was, it was pretty good. Yeah, good I, did, I know. I felt proud of myself. <laughs> That's my little achievement for today. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, it's the wonderful Stephen. That's the first time anyone's ever called me wonderful. Yeah, I, I'm doing okay. Well, I was doing okay until Kate just said that they've got delivery Starbucks and now I'm really jealous. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to send you the recipe to make your own iced coffee at home with that? I'm kind, I'm kind of hoping I better work that out on my own but um, <laughs> but um, yeah no it's all good. I'm, I, I've been in lockdown a week longer than most so I think I'm about into my 10th week of being trapped home alone and um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> even even quizzes aren't working now so let's talk about mental health in film instead well i think i think that this is a very timely topic it is of course uh, mental health awareness month um throughout the month of may but I, th- I think even regardless uh whether it was um mental health awareness month uh i still think this is a very um important podcast to be doing um because i feel like the films that we're going to discuss might actually help some people and uh, what I love about film is that it has the power to connect with such a wide audience and you can always find a film where you you know you see your own sort of story or your own struggle being represented on screen there are some interesting films out there that do deal with the topic in a sensitive manner but then again there are the films that do it in a not so great way and I think those are also important to talk about because you know it it can help um people understand that you know no this isn't the way that autism is you know is uh represent represented that's not how it should be or no depression isn't like this or you know no you don't 
this isn't a faithful way of showing how someone goes through the grieving process um, because I think a lot of the times we just watch a movie and take it for face value so um, I'm hopefully we're going to sort of uh, discuss the bad representations as well so um, yeah uh, what are your sort of guys thoughts on this um, what was it like for you when you were coming up with your um, choices of good representation and, and bad representation in, in film were there anything that you um, any guidelines that you considered when you were coming up with your lists well for me personally um, I well, one thing that I ran into very early on was examples of films where is it um, is it a film that represents mental illness in to my very pedestrian and inexperienced, you know, from a medical point of view, um, is, is it a film that uh, portrays mental illness to be, um, you know, in an accurate manner? No. Is it a great movie? Yes. So like, for example, I'm a big fan of both Shutter Island and Silence of the Lambs. Now, so far as I could tell from my research into there for this episode, both of those movies aren't necessarily great when it comes to the accuracy of mental illness. Um, and then you've got uh, other like Fight Club. I love Fight Club. I'm sure that that's a pure fantasy. And then there's um, another film. I'm one, I seem to be one of the few people who thinks that Joker is OK. It's a fine movie. I think it has good and bad, but like it, it certainly seems to be both an empathetic film for those who are mentally ill, but also very inaccurate. So for me, I, I, the, the issue I came up against is like, uh, how much of this can I tolerate in an entertainment manner? Does that make sense? Yeah, I can. I can understand that. I mean, I, I think it, it's it's hard to sort of um, there are some some great, uh, you know, Hollywood classics that do have. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of like Sunset Boulevard and oh. that you know or the apartment which you know have some really are some classics uh and are absolutely brilliant but don't always necessarily portray you know depression or uh bipolar or you know in a in a favorable light Mm. um so i mean even though i really respect those movies those filmmakers don't necessarily think that they do a good job of representing how it is to be depressed and the apartment um, is very problematic in how it deals with um, a certain uh, event that takes place and I was just having to like really struggle watching it especially sort of coming knowing more about depression uh, and then going into it but at the same time, I, I ha- you sort of have to put those films in context. Um, so I think with Silence of the Lambs, it's, you know, that film is, what's it, 90 something? I mean, I want to say ni- 91. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to use that as an excuse, but at the same time, I don't oh, context think. context matters. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. For me, I've chosen films on the whole. I'm more interested in film as a way of experiencing things that I haven't experienced myself. It's a visual and oral medium. Yeah. You know, you see it, you hear it. So I've, I've selected a a couple of films. 
well yeah a couple of films that's more interested in the in the what is it like to to suffer like mm-hmm. that um rather than use it as something to hang i mean you talk you talk about silence of the lambs and, and I and I get where you're coming from, but on the other hand, uh, those characters in that film, um, certainly Buffalo Bill, is based on a real guy that really did <laughs> like that. Yeah. So. Oh sure, I'm sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so those those things exist. Mm, however, yes. however, the amount of people who actually suffer in that way and 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 do things like that are, are infinitesimal. In in, in 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 number compared to the billions of people in the world and the billions that have ever been the number of people in films who are crazed psychopaths is not even worth worrying about but um it's so so i i, I went I, yeah, I i went to look for films that that tried to get me to experience either what it was like to suffer or how those around those suffering are also impacted um but that's fine you know there's all different ways of different ways of looking at it and um funnily enough shutter island's the film that i've chosen for one that does it badly <laughs> ah, okay yeah see for, for me it's like i was going like i'm far from the the person to decide upon this but i absolutely agree there mate like how how much can mental illness be used for our entertainment ethically speaking i mean like mm-hmm. my and we can we, we we can get into this later in the podcast, or as like we're just getting into it. But like my my t- I've I've got two good examples which um sound like more your kind of thing, uh, Stephen. Uh, my two are Submarine and Harold and Maud. Um, but yeah, like I'm I'm such a big fan of the gibbering psychopath maniac trope. I love all that stuff. I love the maniacal serial killer. I I love the guys in their straight jackets in the padded cell in, you know, like uh, Arkham Asylum and the Batman movies and comics. I love all of that stuff. But then I'm thinking, how, how fair is it that that's used? But then also, I don't want to say like, well, me with my garden variety, depression and anxiety is absolutely in the same realm as, you know, somebody with uh, schizophrenia and that kind of thing. Yeah, actually, um, I mean, th- 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 there's absolutely a place for, for, for tropes as long as people understand that they are just that mm. yeah, they're, yeah. They're, you know the world would be a poorer place without silence of the lambs i think you know it's a, mm. you know, I'm, I'm a big horror film fan um the world would be a poorer place without edgar Allan poe yeah <laughs> yeah, um, yeah yeah, yeah or, sl- or slumber party massacre <laughs> wow <Well>, maybe not <laughs> <laughs> but but there are other films which are trying to display a more real world view and there's a couple which I'm sure we're, one of us is going to pick up on that have been very highly lauded and rewarded um, that actually have a really troubling approach to mental health and 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 how to deal with it, which actually I think is is more insidious than a crazed loon. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, I, I I get where you're coming from. Um, what about you, Kate? How did you come up with your picks? Um, for me, it was um, like I went for like accuracy um, or just generalized people did agreed that it was either accurate or it fit the movie. Um, I had a hard time with that because I felt like like it was so subjective, like some people would like the movie, some people would hate the movie, some people would hate the character or the portrayal of the character. And so it was really hard. For, so I ended up with like an, a universally good pick mm. that 
displayed a bunch of different things in a relatable and mass public friendly way. And then I have one that's in a terrible movie that I do not like, but I really liked the portrayal because it related to me and my experiences. And then the bad one was just, I felt irresponsible and <laughs> okay. just a, well, offensive in a way. Well, that sounds awesome. I want to hear about that. <laughs> um, I think, I think that's a, a very good way to sort of um, depict your movies. I, I think uh, even a bad movie and how it represents mental uh, health issues um, is, is something that we need to be discussing and um, having a conversation about. And you can like an uh, aspect of, like, you know, Kate was saying, you can like an aspect of a movie, you can like um, the portrayal, but you don't necessarily have to like the movie as a whole. Uh, and and that's, I think, something that, you know, as as people analysing film and, and criticising it, um, we need to sort of pick up on more and rather than just say, oh, I didn't like the movie and not explain your reasons why uh so i be which is you know separates us from just being the casual reviewer and then being you know just a person that's on letterbox going i didn't like this one star you know just like a sentence it sucked the end yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so who would like to go first should anyone feel it you know what? I'm going to pick, uh, because I'm in charge. I'm going to pick who goes first, and uh, I'm going to go with Stephen. I wasn't expecting that. Okay. Oh, exactly. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> okay. So the first film I picked, I'm going to admit, has a troublesome director. Um, I've picked Roman Polanski's Repulsion. Okay. <laughs> which is a 1965 psychological horror film um, shot in black and white, shot in swinging 60s London, um, starring um, Catherine Deneuve, the, the, the French actress, the icy blonde, as a woman who has troubles with men. Um, but of course, she's Catherine Deneuve and she's incredibly attractive. And this is swinging 60s London with all the disappointing male behaviour that may have gone on in the past. Um, what we do over the film, we see her crack quite literally in, in one case where, where, where she envisages a wall cracking, um, eventually leading her to commit some murders. The reason I like this is not necessarily the the depiction of, you know, oh, this woman's gone crazy and she's killed some men. Isn't it terrible? It's the way that the film portrays how she is viewing the world. The soundtrack is one of ticking clocks and creaking doors of of, of this oppressive world having an assault on on this woman um it's a stunning performance by Deneuve although some would say that's what she was like all the time you know she was famously an icy cold person um but yes you know in, in 1965 when you were looking at other things at the time I guess you know you look at something like Psycho which is it's a contemporary of it which 
sensationalized that mental health aspect which which it was just a big reveal at the end that he loves his mother and he wears a dress um repulsion goes somewhere else and it certainly goes somewhere to making you feel that you're in her shoes and try and understand how she feels and why she feels that way i actually haven't seen repulsion has anyone here seen it i have it's been a while but i, I have seen it i just i, I must have been, i have I've got a feeling I've picked three films no one's seen. (laughs) (laughs) And I went with the one I thought most would have seen. (laughs) Hey, please, this will give me a kick up to actually watch these movies. So, yeah, please. Sounds good. I mean, I I understand a lot of people, you know, will not watch a Roman Polanski film for for good reasons. Um, This was his first um, English language film, I think. Um, It's it's stunningly shot. Um, It's it's. Keep it as a as a like a, a trifecta of the time, along with Psycho, along with Peeping Tom, um, those those, those sort of proto horror films of the time. But it's you know it's got a, it's got a woman as the lead, so I thought that was kind of perfect for this podcast. And it's um, but yes, it's 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 an affecting experience. But as we were talking about earlier, it's very much a product of swinging sixties London, and you'll know what I mean when when you see it because even even the you know, the male protagonist is a bit of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably... but like most male protra- protagonists in Roman Polanski films are bits of, you yeah. know, aren't yeah. the most pleasant. I'm thinking of um, Rosemary's Baby <laughs> as yeah. like the prime example. <laughs> this which is, is usually considered a part of that apartment trilogy of which Rosemary's mm. Baby is one. And I can't remember the other one. The Tenant. Surely. yeah that's right so so it's it's in that that's it's in that yeah he i mean you know whatever you may think of him he he does have the the art and the skills behind the camera to to unsettle and unnerve and that that's when he's at his best i think it's interesting pieces of shit can make good art i guess <laughs> um i think it's interesting that you said you know we have these swing swinging 60s films come out you do have like peeping tom um you do have uh you know like you say repulsion and it's kind of saying that the monsters that your that you know your parents grew up with in the 1930s and 40s these frankensteins and you know these draculas uh, are nothing compared to the real monsters who wear you know human faces and i suppose you could say that quite literally um that some of them end up wearing human faces uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it's the people that uh we pass in the everyday sh- you know you know in the street every day um so even though those films are problematic at the same time they're kind of making you aware that um it's not it's not the you know it's not vampires it's not you know um reanimated corpses that do the real horrors it's actually ordinary people um absolutely yeah yeah i mean i haven't seen repulsion i've been thinking about maybe checking it out um and hearing you talk about it i think i will um seek it out but um that's a very interesting pick all, all, all I want to ask was, was it Repulsion that Polanski was um, making when Sharon Tate and her friends were murdered? No, that was Rosemary's Babe. No, oh, was it? Oh, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. 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 Just, just a little before that. I, mm. I know a lot. I've just, sorry, I know that this is not going to make the podcast, but I've just been reading a book called, about Chinatown, which is called Chinatown, The Long Goodbye 
which is by um, he's a writer called Sam Watson, I think his name is, and it goes into the history of making of Ch Chinatown, and it sort of talks all about like the four key players, so you, the screenwriter, um, the producer, the Roman Polanski, and Jack Nicholson, and it gives like a little sort of precursor to when the film actually got like made so it goes into the like the background of what like the years leading up to when Chinatown got made that's really fascinating stuff um so if you're looking for a book to read that's one that I recommend yeah be be interested to check that out because I know, I know that uh, Sam Watson also wrote uh, what's supposed to be a really good book on uh, Audrey Hepburn and Breakfast at Tiffany's and how that oh, yeah I'm yeah. I'm reading his uh biography on Bob as well and oh it, cool it's so good but uh it's like 600 800 pages long or something <laughs> so it's taking me ages to get through anyway sorry that was a massive tangent and won't be included <laughs> in the final cut of this podcast oh maybe it will <laughs> who knows <laughs> i know <laughs> um well, thank you for that pick, Stephen. I really appreciated it. Um, let's head on over to Kate now. What's your first pick? Um, my first pick is the terrible movie that I don't like, okay. but I like the portrayal. <laughs> it's the second Twilight movie, New Moon. Um, so in it, okay. Um, so the whole trilogy's there's wait no there's four okay all of the movies are problematic the toxic relationships abound they do a whole podcast on how terrible they are but in the second one um i don't know if you guys have seen it um uh, unfortunately i'm a diehard twilight <laughs> fan here um team jacob yeah, I saw um, <laughs> team jacob yes okay um yeah i worked at best buy when those came out and we had a whole midnight release i had to wear a tj team jacob shirt i'm still suffering from it but um in the second movie after uh, the main character, Bella, her boyfriend, vampire boyfriend, leaves her. Um, she gets, like, just catatonically depressed, um, which, of course, is unhealthy because you should never feel that way over a boy. But um, in it, they portray and make the audience feel her depression by sitting her in a chair and spinning the camera around her slowly, playing depressing music. And if you don't look at her, but if you look at everything around her, you see that, like, life's going on without her. People are being successful without her. They're having fun without her. And she's just sat there. And for me, that was the most accurate portrayal of how I experienced depression, because you just, you're just sitting there, and there's, you feel like there's nothing you can do, and everyone's just moving on without you. And just for me, just that, like, two-minute clip was very accurate on what depression feels like, even though it was stupid because it was over a boy but I still like I like that clip I think I thought it was accurate yeah I, I I remember seeing that clip and I thought it was such a strong montage of like you say how um some people experience depression because you know people do experience it in different ways you do have um bouts of mania where it's the complete opposite of that you suddenly feel like you can do everything and you're you've got so much energy that you don't know how to contain it and sometimes in my own personal experiences that's happened to me where I've been like oh I'm I've got to do everything all at once but then I can't concentrate on this and I can't concentrate on that but I've got to do something to get it out of my system mm. and then you know you do have moments where you, you have you just don't want to do anything and no matter how uh, 
how many deadlines you've got, how many articles you've got to write, how many reviews. You just can't. Sometimes it's a struggle. To, like Bella, it's a struggle to get out of the chair. Uh, and I think um, uh, Stuart does such a good job of showing emotion by not showing emotion, if that makes sense. Yeah, you immediately know how she's how she feels based on like the music choice, the way it's filmed. It's just it was for those movies. I felt like it was like very um, cinematic and like it, it felt like it belonged in a no offense, Twilight, a higher ranked movie. That's the problem, though, with Twilight. There were some aspects to those films that uh, were very interesting and I mm. wish they had explored. Like, if it had been, like, I don't know, I want to say, like, more uh, aimed at a more mature audience. audience. (laughs) Maybe when our generation is older and decides to remake those classic films, they'll be a little bit more film Twitter appropriate. (laughs) Maybe. I could see, like, an A24 version of Twilight. Criterion Collection. (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps. Um, Yeah, I just... Let's not even go into the weird third movie with the was it the third one or the fourth one with the weird baby? That's I think that was the f- oh, no, that was the third one because the fourth one there was like just like the last two chapters of the book. <laughs> the with CGI baby. Um, yes. That's but, a whole nother problem. That is. I take it the boys are silent. They they've not they don't appreciate the the. <laughs> I've seen these movies. I'm just listening. <laughs> I say nobody's forced you to watch these. <laughs> I found I've other seen things. Them, and I do. think they're bad movies with great moments. <laughs> yes, and uh, of course Martin Sheen's wonderful laugh. Um, oh, he's the best <laughs> thing in those films. <laughs> he is. He's he was a very good choice, and he's one of the only actors that I know that can play a complete crazy, like supernatural being or an angel perfectly well. He could do either. Mm. That's a that's yeah. a hard skill to have. He's a national <laughs> treasure, and I think we don't appreciate him enough. Not enough. Uh, no. <laughs> I am watching um, Good Omens soon. Actually, I'm looking forward to watching it a second time. He was a very so good, good uh, Aziraphale. He was. Uh, and of course, the wonderful David Tennant. I love him. Yes. Remains my favorite Doctor, but you know, uh, we're going on all sorts of tangents. <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, that's a very interesting pick, and you were right. It's not a, it's not a great movie, but that's a a great moment in a, a in a bad movie, and I think it really does just display um de- depression in a very realistic manner. So thank you, Kate. Um, over to James. What's on your um What's your first pick? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, um, I I casually dropped them into the conversation earlier, but I've got two movies, one where it's mental illness themes that to which I can relate and one to which I can't. Um, the first one uh, being Submarine. Um, now, this is a film which suggests that. OK, so basically it's about a young guy growing up in 1980s. I want to say Swansea. Um And it's about him falling in love with the girl as his parents' marriage falls apart. One thing I really love about this film is how it captures uh, my own brand of very sophisticated depression, wherein um, 
like one thing that really annoys me about a misconception of depression is people think that it's sadness. It's not sadness. As Patton Oswalt put it, depression is lying on your bed and watching The Princess Bride 11 times with the commentary on. It's you're you're maintaining it's like or at least for me anyway, it's like just it's this emptiness as very well portrayed i thought in twilight 2 um that you got noah hawley's character who is full-on depressed and the title of the film comes from the fact that he uh, sums up his um how depression makes him feel um in that it makes him just feel like he's at the bottom of the ocean and he's this submarine you have this water weighing down on him and that's very much how i feel when i have a depressive attack um i remember i was in auckland last year walking around auckland's my de facto home city these days and then um, i just been to the museum and then it kind of crashed down on me and all of a sudden it's like i was walking through the streets underwater everything felt heavy everything felt tiring and i really like that and i i really like how um the film said you know it, it, the, the the main character it's wondering if he is indeed depressed, like as a t- young teen or if he's just a teenager. And if he is depressed, is it a hereditary issue or is it just the fact that he's growing up in um, in South Wales in the 1980s? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it, it's a it's a very deeply empathetic film from um Richard Aowardi, who, to my knowledge, has only made two feature films thus far. The double I really didn't care for at all. And but uh, Submarine, I think, is um, just an astounding piece of work. And, yeah, I think it's beautifully empathetic to those people who have depression. Yeah, I really I really uh, love that movie. I think it's one of those films that isn't really um, talked about that much. And maybe because it's not had like it's not. I don't know whether it's a film that um, people outside of the UK can get on board with um maybe it's the welsh accents perhaps uh which creates a barrier i don't know yeah um, if i recall correctly ben still is a producer because i know yeah. that he liked the script going in and that you supported the movie mm. and i think like you say yeah it's it's interesting because it does i mean that his father is depressed isn't he as well and yeah yeah and it's, it's like you oliver's that his dad seemingly doesn't want to fight for his own failing marriage it's like mm. it's, it's not as easy as that he's just he's, he's like an unmedicated uh, depressive yeah and it's also interesting because it also talks about the the mother as well and you think it, it could be that you could you know a, another director would have made them the mother to turn out to be like the enemy or you know this person yeah. to to dislike because she's you know to those who haven't seen a film there is she sort of could have an affair if she wanted to have she's an affair. She's possibility yeah. of having an affair, yeah. And you could you know um, it could be very easily to paint her in um, a bad light, but the film treats her as a human being, and oh, oh like, yeah. You you see that she's also going through a depressive episode. You know she's suffering from a lack of self confidence, uh, and you know is feeling neglected and uh, ignored by her husband, who mm. is you know there's a lack of communication there between the two. And I think it's mm-hmm. like you say it's a very empathetic movie. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know whether our 
uh, whether Stephen or Kate have seen it at all. I have well, not. I, I have. So it's a fantastic movie. Great choice. Richard I. Waddy is a national treasure. And I wish, like James, I didn't care for the double, but I wish he would make more films and less panel shows. Um, <laughs> it's also not related to this, but it has a fantastic soundtrack by Alex Turner of the Arctic mm. Monkeys. Of um, which I think basically most people who saw this film were probably Arctic Monkeys fans, which is a real shame because it's a film that deserves to be seen more. Um, so yeah, got great, great choice, I would say. And you know, I can only echo everything you've already said, Bianca and James. Really, you've uh, yeah, you, you said all the right things about it for me. Okay. I want to look it up. Yeah, uh, hopefully you can get it in the states and uh, to listeners uh, as well. Um, I I would recommend seeking it out because uh, I think it's one of those films that, regardless of where you grew up and when you grew up, like you know, you don't have to be grown up in South Wales in the eighties to to understand what it's like to be a teenager because it's oh, kind yes. of universal Hopefully, in that uh, respect. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just like I mean, like it, not not about mental health, but I I should add it's a it's an excruciatingly funny film. It's brilliant stuff. Like these two 15 year olds, it's like we should have sex now before it's legal. You know, stuff like that. Um, I do think that the uh, TV show End of the <laughs> World owes a huge debt to the film Submarine um, when it comes to um, dark accurately dark in many ways uh, teenage romances like Submarine isn't dark like that. It's a very human comedy drama. Um, but yeah, uh, Noah Taylor, Sally Hawkins, Paddy Considine. Um, oh, I'm totally blanking on the name of the two kids, uh, Yasmin and Tom. I want to say are their first names, the actors. Um, Craig, Craig Roberts and Yasmin Page. Oh yes, yes, yes that's it. Yeah, Craig. I looked, I looked it up. I didn't know that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it is. Like it, I've, I've, I've made it sound very heavy, and it, it is at times. Well, ultimately, it's a very funny, very sympathetic and empathetic uh, film um, that's got a massive heart. I, I really like it. That's a it's, really good pick. It's on Prime. In the, oh, in the States. So there you go. I will be watching that this week. Nice. Oh, I can't wait. Or maybe we'll have to do a special um, follow-up podcast where we discuss it. Um, ah. and, <laughs> uh, and then discuss repulsion as well. <laughs> that could be fun. Um, I'm, I'm watching that movie, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, back over to you, Stephen. What's your second pick? So my second pick, um, I don't think anyone would have seen. <laughs> okay. Um, it's Anton Corbin's biopic Control from 2007, um, which is thank God you've seen it. It is the story of Ian Curtis, who was the lead singer of Joy Division, which probably predates everybody else, but they were an important band in the northwest of England in the late 1970s or post-punk thing um from joy division you got new order i suppose most people have heard of new order i think they're still going now um ian curtis himself um suffered from depression and also a physical illness of epilepsy um which this 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 film basically details is 23 years of his life um which he ends by committing suicide um 
and yeah it's it's a depressing movie <laughs> but it's beautifully shot and even more beautifully performed not only by um sam riley who plays ian curtis but samantha morton in one of her best performances as his uh, plays his wife deborah um it's fantastically shot in black and white um sam was actually the, the lead was actually in a band so they they actually perform the music on on screen um but what you get is this guy that is both quite he's a bit weird but he's quite vociferous he's quite fun he's he's very creative he's also a really really nice guy but he gets haunted by his epilepsy and what that's going to mean is his his epileptic fits get worse and worse that leads him to his depression and in his depression he does stupid things like embarks on an affair even though his you know he, he dearly loves his wife and his child um the epilepsy both informs his artistic nature and he's this crazy on-screen dance um but it also which means he can't hold his daughter and all these things lead up to this this depressive a more depressive attitude until finally you know he, he commits the you know the great sin of, of of suicide um just on the cusp of when that band were going to become big so people will know the song love will tear us apart i'm sure i'm sure that's that's their most famous song this this is actually taken the title's taken from their song she's lost control which is about a girl he met whilst working at um at an employment exchange who who had an epileptic fit in front of him and later on he found out died in her sleep and all these things inform you know f- f- inform him of his illness and this is this is the late 70s there's no cure for it and not only that there isn't really medication which can help him they just keep trying and keep throwing him loads and loads of pills um, now there are some problems with the film that it plays a little, as, as all biopics do, it plays a little fast and loose with the truth and moves things around. And it's based on the book of his widow, who has got some axes to grind, maybe against the woman who had an affair with her husband. But yeah, it's it's a really if you compare it to something like I don't know the, the recent music biopics such as Bohemian Rhapsody and, and um, Rocket Man, this isn't a joyous music filled romp through people's lives um this is this is this is dark and it's black and white and it's the northwest of england and it's 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 a small story of small people now these small people may have had a big effect on a lot of people my age but you know i I, i'm pretty certain you know kate's never heard of joy division (laughs) i have oh okay yeah that's fine i'm a music nerd though so. You get my you get my point. It it, it appeals to a, a certain sub subset of, of of people who enjoy music, and um, it's just a really powerful film. And and that ramble. What I was trying to get to is what it actually also shows is the effect that people's illness has on those around him. And in in this film, it's it's about Samantha Morton's character, about the wife who dearly loves her husband, and and unfortunately possibly enables him far too much, which which leads leads to his untimely end. Yeah, and I think it's good that you sort of brought up Bohemian Rhapsody um, uh, because that film kind of also tries to, to talk about um, depression and but it does it in such a way that it's just very paint by numbers mm-hmm. and it doesn't really, it, it's just dealt with so quickly. Um, it, it's like not given it doesn't go into the real depth of the the human being that Freddie Mercury was. 
no this 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 is very different this this is about ian curtis the man i think it it suffered because um, about five years before you had michael winterbottom's 24-hour party people which sort of tangentially sort of connects to this film there's a lot of same characters like like um tony tony what's his name oh yeah tony wilson so uh, and and also the members of, of joy division and new order in it and 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 so that film because it had steve coogan in it and because it was kind of funny and a bit weird and it, it probably took a lot of this film's thunder but if you if you want a, a more realistic story of 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 a time and of a people i'd really recommend control oh i'll have to check it out and the fact that you said it's shot in black and white sounds very appealing to me not just black and white it's anton corbin who's like one of the greatest photographers of all time yeah. uh, it's 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 a it's a stunning thing and it has a feel of i'll tell you what it feels like it feels like those kitchen sink dramas of mm of the 60s you know this sporting life films like that um yeah like kathy come home exactly kind of look. And, and 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 you know and, it, and it, it's set in the same place you know bits of it are set in macclesfield in manchester um it, it's definitely if it's got to be deliberate in that that approach and and like i can't say anymore how great samantha morton is in it as well yeah wow um well back over to kate what's next <laughs> Well, now for something completely different. Uh, my second pick was Finding Nemo. Um, okay. All right. Every, every single character in that film has a variation of mental illness or some kind of affliction. Um, Marlin, the Nemo's dad, the main adult clownfish, um, has PTSD from lo- losing his wife in one of the most traumatic openings to a child's movie ever. Um I have to skip it when I watch that movie. Um, So he has PTSD, separation anxiety, just generalized anxiety. Um, And um, they show it in a way that's relatable because he's a parent. Um, So it's like, oh, that's just normal parent behavior. No, it's not. He's kind of overprotective. Um, And then you have Dory, who has short-term memory loss, ADHD. Um, And they show that in um, with all of these different fish having different disorders they they never um it never feels like they trivialize it or make fun of it it's just something normal that everyone has and it's just accepted and you just deal with it and that's what i liked about it and especially in a kids movie like they made it just seem normal and it followed in the sequel um and then so then you have the the sharks are at an addiction counseling um and then bruce the main shark has separate um has abandonment that's issues rough. from his dad yeah <laughs> um and then you get to the fish tank, and that whole fish tank has got stuff. So you have Deb or Flo, who has split personality and argues with her reflection. Um, Bubbles and Gurgle, which are like the yellow fish, and then the the purple and yellow fish are both um, neurotic and have anxiety. Like they're germaphobe or obsessed with like bubbles. Um, Bloat has emotional problems. Like he puffs up when he gets stressed. Um, and then um, who's the other one? trying to think oh the the shrimp oh what's his name jocks um also has like ocd with cleaning um and it's just like every single person in that movie has something that can be defined as mental illness and they just play it in such a like normal like this is just something people have and i mean it's funny with dory they make fun of her for having the short-term memory loss and they expand on it in the sequel but i just i really liked how they portrayed it in a kid-friendly way and it wasn't like 
the plot of the movie. It just happened to be in the movie. Yeah. And the humor I... that. Uh, sorry, sorry, B. Oh no, you go first. Oh, thank, no, all, all, like, all, all I want to do, like, add just to, like, uh, back up your praise there, uh, just because I, I think you've made me appreciate the film even more, Kate, is how um, the humour never feels exploitative or at at the cost of uh, who these people are. If anything, it's just more of, like, a, a kind acknowledgement of how, you know, mental illness, or men, you know, and, and, like, just how everybody's different can mean that you, you know, meet a lot of very different people throughout your life. Yeah, and I think it's really touching how we get uh, these backstories to these characters uh, and the trauma that they faced. I mean, I've, I remember feeling so overwhelmed with sadness for Dory that her own family have abandoned her. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. like, isn't played for laughs. <laughs> That's a real moment in, in the film, and it feels like for a this is what I love about Pixar though they do this throughout um, their films I mean look it up mm-hmm. I'm like, my god how heartbreaking is that opening you know montage which is no dialogue <laughs> and yeah. is just so beautifully done in terms of uh, you know grief and the loss of a loved one and I think as well you know films such a you know toy story yeah. about about sort of coming of age and uh, you know jesse oh my gosh how heartbreaking is toy story 2 and her song that song i can't with this song <laughs> um but i love how pixar do this and you know I, I i suppose that kind of stems throughout disney films uh as much as you know you know they can be problematic um they do sort of touch on these issues that uh, you know affect children you know like the loss of a parent look at Bambi you know there's always this uh you know look at Pinocchio as well is this fight to to find your father uh and to to go on this journey I I think it's such a interesting way to get these life lessons across to children especially with finding Nemo because like you say all of the characters are human and it's not their personality isn't just they're forgetful that isn't yeah. this I mean Dory is wonderful because she's the one that gets you know I always find it when she says about reading Escape Escape. <laughs> yeah and that's another reason I really liked it is yes all these characters uh, these different fish have afflictions that they have to deal with but it doesn't prevent them from being capable like I think that was really big with Dory's storyline is yes she can't remember everything like she forgets two minutes after she learns something but she still manages to help Marlin find his son and get across the ocean and survive all sorts of craziness and so it even though they may have something they have to deal with it doesn't prevent them from accomplishing what they want to accomplish and I think that's a good message for a and she speaks whale Yes, and she speaks well. <laughs> How like, many believes her? <laughs> How many of us can speak whale? You know, certainly everybody not me. after that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Hello. Maybe I should say goodbye in Wales <laughs> when we finish this podcast. Uh, <laughs> perhaps not. Um, that's a really interesting pick, and I'm I'm very glad that you brought that up um, because you wouldn't even consider it. I think most of you know when when talking about um, good depictions. So thank you. Um, over to you, James. What's next? My second uh, pick out of two, um, like main picks, really is um, Harold and Maud. Now, this is going to contain a pretty big spoiler for Harold and Maud, but it's kind of like a midway spoiler, not the end of the movie. Uh, but basically, Harold and Maud is about a burgeoning relationship and perhaps something more between a teen boy and uh, an elderly lady. Um, it isn't played like as anything particularly gross or anything like that. It's, you know, just like a springtime, autumn kind of uh, potential uh, relationship between these two people. Um, it's a kind of like a bittersweet, dark comedy with uh, macabre humor, uh, some of which was uh, uh, potentially homaged by Ginger Snaps a couple of decades later. Um, but yeah, um, you got this young, rich kid who, um, Harold, uh, you'll be shocked to hear, um, who doesn't know what he's doing with his life. He's kind of like Dustin Hoffman a little bit in The Graduate, but he's um, acting out in some particularly humorous ways. And then he meets Maud, um, an elderly lady. Uh, and then as the film goes on, uh, Maud, who is what one might describe as a character, and in a, a good <laughs> way, she's just hilarious and adorable and lovable and great. Turns out she's a Holocaust survivor. And um, one thing that I really like with films about, uh, I really appreciate films that are about trauma that show like, okay, being a Holocaust survivor, as, as experiences go, it doesn't get much worse than being in the Holocaust. A controversial statement, I know. But the thing that I like about Harold and Maud and other movies is like, yeah, OK, so the Holocaust happened decades ago. Unfortunately, going through like that is a complete ruinous head fuck. You are living a completely different existence from there and in because you've gone through something so unspeakably horrible that your entire life has now changed. Now, with Maud, it's this real kind of uh, Cat Stevens-fueled carpe diem. She's really got to go out there and seize the day every day. You know, if it's meeting a young boy and making a uh, friendship with him or uh, messing around with uh, with um, uh, a highway patrolman, who I think mm-hmm. may have been played by Tom Berenger. I can't remember. Um, I'm trying not to give too many details away because it's it's such a delightful film. But crucially, the film then starts to explore how you got this young guy who's got potentially um, his whole life ahead of him. Um, and yet he's plagued with some real depression. He, he, he's, he is depressed. And then he manages to form a bond with an older woman who, and this might be because he's got a really strange non-relationship with his mother, but he forms a relationship with this older woman, Maud. And the two get each other. You've got this young guy who has experienced only bad things as a result of his very dysfunctional family unit. And then this woman who has been through one of the worst things a human being can ever go through. And it's how they meet. And now I, I can only at most relate to Harold in this Maud, I could not imagine what it's like to survive something so horrendous. I really love how the film 
treats her with such breathtaking humanity, be it through humour or in some of the film's other scenes, really dark, tear-jerking drama. Um, so yeah, Harold and Maud, I absolutely love it. I do too. It's one of my favourite films. I love oh, how I'm so glad to hear. <laughs> I love how Ashby, as a film director, he did Being There as well, which is just yes. fantastic. Um, uh, enough about me. Um, what about you, <laughs> Kate and Stephen? Um, are you, have you checked out Harold Maud, and what are your sort of takeaways on it? I haven't seen it, but it is on my to-do list. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same. It came out the year I was born, which is depressing me right at this moment. Um, but yeah. You were born in the early 70s? Say again? I didn't know you were born in the early 70s. Uh, 1971. It explains how you've seen so many films, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it sounds fantastic. And, and funnily oh. enough, the, 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 sort of the, the May to September theme of sort of younger man older woman mm. um th- there's another film ali fear eats the soul by fastbinder which oh i haven't seen it, that which which has a similar theme although the the the, the sort of the burden of the past is is, is on the younger male this guy because he's a he's an immigrant in, in sort of post-war germany mm. um it, it, it's it's a similar idea you know about about people finding love and and a love of life through an unconventional relationship, even, even mm. though it, it, it's, you know, that there's that background texture of mm. terrible stuff happening. Oh, yeah. Have okay. Yeah. Done. I'll have to check that. I am woefully um, uh, inexperienced when it comes to fast binder uh, films. And I, I have zero excuse. <laughs> no, a very different, very different kind of film from the <laughs> sure, bit, sure, but, yeah. but very, very similar idea, you know, and they just go mm. in, different directions sure yeah. um we've got a lot to catch up on clearly all of <laughs> us really um <laughs> that's what i think about in their own league i see so many movies just because i'm a part of this community it's great it's a selfish endeavor if anything i know <laughs> every podcast i go straight to amazon or something so I've got to watch <laughs> yes um uh, yeah, I me too. Um, there's always something that catches me out. Um, Stephen, uh, what is your final pick? So my final pick is, I, I'm pretty sure none of you will have seen this. <laughs> this is a very on-brand film for me. Um, so this is Kotoko um, by um, Shinya Sukamoto. Um, Japanese director you may be aware of him because he made um, Tetsuo the Iron Man and it's and it's two sequels he made yeah. Snake of June um, J- James has probably almost certainly seen something by Shinya Sakamoto um, yes. this, this is a very different film in his canon um, you know he, he quite often deals with the sort of the the feeling of of not being connected to society that that that's his that's his thing um Kotoko is very different um it stars a real life um, Japanese pop folk singer called Coco in her sort of as far as I know, her only role, certainly her only leading role, um, who in the past has suffered from schizophrenia, from depression. And Kotoko, she, she, she's what's this, you know, she plays this character of Kotoko, who is a, a single mother, who... Um, 
struck struggles because of her illness in, in looking after her child um her child's taken away from her which obviously doesn't help her her, her situation um she then bumps into this um uh, award-winning novelist played by Sukamoto himself with whom she starts a really weird relationship that's the bit we I'm not really gonna it's very weird um includes basically she's allowed to hurt him as much as she wants um the only thing which saves her from her depression is her ability to sing the song she sings and that's the only time she feels safe and 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 that, that that's her way of dealing with her depression now the reason i bring this this film up is 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 kind of what i was talking about at the beginning it's a film which makes you f- understand what it's like to be in that person's shoes um and it does this by sort of both sort of auditory cues and noises but also visually and it's not trying to say this is how people with schizophrenia and paranoia see the world but it does it in a way that maybe gets you to to somehow understand um so what we quite often see is that Katoko's walking along and she meets somebody but she meets two somebodies and basically she sees two people one of them might be normal someone passing in the street um they just say hello to her and, and that, that's how you or I would deal with it and then she sees the same person at the same time but this person is wanting to attack her this person is wanting to do terrible things to her and it's the same actor on the same street in the same place at the same time um and it, and it gives you this sense of being on this tightrope of 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 normalcy but also um something that's um unreal and obviously completely throws her off her course and that and that's that's where she's struggling with every day and so whilst um and and also think it's very accurate because um coco herself you know she 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 i think she helped write the screenplay she certainly wrote the story that 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 the film is based on so it's coming from a real place and it's just fantastic to see a filmmaker try and display it outside of i don't know clever special effects it, it it's it's all very you know it's just it's just the scene same scene done at the same time very quickly um it's something something that has to be watch to be fully understood um it's heartbreaking it's she's amazing in it this is completely outside of Sakamoto's normal um oh I don't know what to call his work but you know it, it can be a little um it's not it's not to everybody's taste um it's very cult um but if you can find a copy of Kotoko and it was released out in the UK on DVD um I really suggest you watch it if you if you want to get into somebody's shoes and, and understand how debilitating um, schizophrenia and, and, and associated paranoia can be. Oh, I have to check that out. I mean, um, I, am, am I three? Of, <laughs> well, I, in, a, in a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of a film called Images. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard of that. I think okay. it was directed by Robert Altman. Um, this is 1970s film about a woman who also has schizophrenia and she keeps like she goes to this remote um, cottage to sort of get away and the like people come like appear in her life and you're not sure if they're real people or whether she's imagining it and certain scenes play out again and again like mm. uh, 
this idea of repetition and I think it's a very interesting movie because it sort of plays on your perception and you start you know your place into the shoes of the the main character this woman who's suffering from this you know this terrible affliction and uh it's a very I think that is actually on Amazon Prime so it's a very interesting movie it's very 70s has a very sort of that 70s decor weird music type of thing but it's Mm. actually quite a good movie that uh, I don't think really gets talked about when you're sort of talking about Robert Altman movies Um, usually people talk about yeah usually I think it's sort of just after MASH Um, so seems like a really odd movie for him to do straight away but it's very good um right let's go over to kate what's next for you um i had a hard time picking a third one um i had a bunch i went through um that i didn't know if they quite fit like hunt for the wilder people um it's kind of about grief and abandonment issues and getting over that like any taika watiti movie really handles tough situations and making them funny and watchable um so i think anything he's done is great um i think i settled on um little miss sunshine yes there's a lot going on in that movie um especially with uh, steve carell's character um mm. he had just attempted suicide and um his life was crumbling because somebody was a better proust expert than he was and he has to get in the this like vw van with his family and deal with their craziness um and i mean that in the nicest way possible because they're just a really odd group and i think that's a another good movie to watch if um you want to just understand many different forms of like the um what's the was it paul dano that plays the yes uh he's not talking he's taken a vow of silence until he Mm -hmm. becomes a pilot fighter pilot and he finds out he's colorblind and oh my gosh yeah it's heartbreaking but they help him and then um abigail breslin's adorable as always when she was younger i mean she's still great but um i liked adorable little abigail breslin um she was very sweet yeah she's adorable and what tony collette's and that's that cast and greg kinnear Yes. Oh, and Alan Arkin, is he the grandfather? Yeah, he's the yeah. grandfather. Oh, and he's brilliant as well because his, his like life advice is just fantastic. Yeah. And I think we should all be like him. <laughs> yeah, when I grow up, I'll be Alan Arkin. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that's a that's a good one just to as an example of how to. Um, not get on but how to like just deal with all sorts of different types of mental illness in like a family setting and just how how they deal with each other as a group yeah. that was good and plus how can you not like a yellow vw vanigan <laughs> and when they're all pushing it yeah um, <laughs> as someone who has owned one of those that is required um i had a <laughs> 1969 VW bus. I didn't have the camper van. I just had the bus. But if, if you own one, you will push it up a hill at some point in your life. <laughs> Mine was not yeah. yellow, though. Oh, I feel like if we ever get uh, in their own league bus, we'll have to get like a, a yellow Volkswagen bus and go oh, yeah. around. 
like spreading the word. <laughs> perfect. And we can get the little in their own league logo in the, on the front. Oh, wow. This must happen. <laughs> I'll find one. <laughs> um, I just thought I would quickly mention a film. Um, I've not really spoken about any of my picks, um, but I do want to, uh, something that is recent and I was just thinking about um, when you were sort of mentioning dysfunctional families. Um, <laughs> uh, this is kind of a relatable film, but um, Honey Boy, um, yeah. I think is a, a really great film, uh, especially when you sort of take into account Shia LaBeouf's like, like upbringing and his own childhood and i what i like about the movie is it's um it's portrayal of um counseling and um you know the the process of um trying to go through self-healing um and i think my favorite moment is um when uh, is it lucas hedges his character um he plays the old version of uh, the main character. He he goes out into the woods and just screams. Um, and uh, from my own sort of experience of dealing with um, not being able to be assertive and to, uh, you know, being this sort of passive person and not speaking up for myself, uh, I found that film that moment there of him just letting go and screaming his like heart out really spoke to me uh but it's a film that kind of gives you hope because it says that you can heal and you can learn to um forgive um you know the person who's you know uh should have been a parent there for you and learn that uh, and see them for being a bit human and having their own issues. And I think it's a it's a film that I wish had gotten more attention last year. Uh, but you know how it is. Why would we ever? Uh, you know, why would we nominate female filmmakers at the Oscars? I mean, that's that's a crazy notion. It's far <laughs> too soon. We're only in 2020 here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but I thought I would just give a special mention to Honey Boy, which I believe is out now on VOD if people want to seek it out. Because, um, yeah, when when Shire is good, he's very good. He's very good, yeah. Yeah, but when he's bad, he's um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Christmas bad. But I hope he comes back um, in more roles that allow him to demonstrate his ability not as just a comic actor but as a very serious and more mature actor because I think he's obviously done his own he's gone through a process of self-healing and um you know he's no longer this destructive force of nature I think he is possibly going to hopefully to go on to have a great career so I do wish him all the best not that he's listening to this podcast but you never know um (laughs) so let's end this podcast by uh talking about our picks of films that don't do such a good job um Kate let's let's do yours first (laughs) is a uh not controversial pick but one that 
people won't agree with, and it was Joker. Um, I wanted to like the movie. I was happy that you know it had a, a female composer who was rightly awarded for her great work. But um, and I think that um, Joaquin Phoenix did a phenomenal job acting in that film and with what he was given. But there were two reasons I really despised this movie. Um, one is I grew up with the comics um, and the character of the Joker. He's if you ask a hundred random people on the street who is the greatest comic book villain of all time, uh, the majority of them will say the Joker. Um, and so I just had expectations going into the film and just the way they handled him and gave him a backstory to kind of justify or explain the way he was acting just was very off-putting. It, um, I came away with it thinking that anybody who is physically and emotionally abused and you know doesn't get medication, no matter what their background, could potentially turn into the Joker. And I really didn't like that because I felt like um, if people see that and see that it's justified, oh, well, you know, she has depression and people are mean to her. So I guess she could go nuts and start killing people. And it's totally justified. Like, I just <laughs> really didn't agree with that. Um, and from the comic book standpoint, the Joker has always been this um, this guy that came out of nowhere just to be the nemesis of Batman. Like, you know nothing about him other mm-hmm. than he's just, he's pure evil. Like, he's not mentally ill. He's just evil. Like, there is there is nothing wrong with him other than he's just evil. Like, he and Harley Quinn like to kidnap the various versions of Robin and torture him and then give him back to Batman like they just do things because it is evil like there's no explanation for it you can't justify it you can't come up with a reason he's like that he's just like that and so I don't like that they tried to use mental illness as a way to justify his behavior in this movie and that's that's just why it sits bad with me it's not his portrayal like of mental illness like he he did a good job in the movie playing a evil person but I just don't like that they it looked like they justified his actions with, oh, well, he's you know crazy. He's mentally ill. So, of course, he's going to go nuts and kill people and convince every other person who feels like society doesn't like them to act the same way. And, yeah, I didn't like it. Sorry. Rambling. No, I think those are fair yeah. criticisms. I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, the Joker, to me, also as a comic book nerd, he, he's an agent of chaos, an agent mm. of change. He's not, he's not he's, vindictive in that way. <laughs> Heath Ledger is, 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 I mean, there's lots of, he sees a Romero. He sees all sorts of people. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, Mark and, and, yeah. yeah. And absolutely. And and indeed in the comic books, that's something they're, they're looking to address. There's this whole three Jokers theory that all the different Jokers that we've met are different people potentially and think, but let's not go there. Another podcast again. <laughs> uh, my problem with the film was that it was called Joker. And I can't help thinking it would have been better served if it had nothing to do with Batman. That's exactly yeah. my, my point. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and and that and that you know, and actually the the bit that really I didn't get in the whole film is where they really tried hard to tie it to Bruce, uh, Bruce Wayne's father. Yeah, um, I, I thought like, yeah. what? Because <laughs> it, it's not needed. Um, it it, it, it could have just been a you know a modern retelling of um. Well, what's the film? It's ripping off King of Comedy. Yeah, uh, it, Taxi, it, Driver. Taxi Driver. Yeah, um, uh, it, it could have been that, and it could have been fine. But the fact they made it the Joker, and they kind of made it canon, and they 
and and well i don't think it's necessarily canon i think it's just in its separate own universe at least that's what they say but you never know with warner brothers what they <laughs> well it's how they've had a real success because you know let's not forget it's done gangbusters yeah it's like mm. it's like one of the most successful movies of all time in, t- in terms of how much it cost and, and what it made mm. you know you can't deny the lead performance is astonishing there's a lot to dislike about that film as well um a lot of things that, that that Kate was saying, you know, like crazy people don't go around killing people for no reason just because they've been hurt. And in fact, I shouldn't have used the phrase crazy people, you know, but you know what I mean? That that that's the kind of vibe it puts out, and it's concerning. Um, yeah, I think as well when we are saying like we had issues with Science Labs, which was twenty twenty odd years ago. Um, we really should have moved on from just saying that just because you you have a mental illness that makes you violent because the majority of people who do suffer from schizophrenia or, you know, or, uh, bipolar or whatever it is, you know, autism is one of these things that people assume that you, you're autistic and you're either uh, this high leveling sociopath, you know, Rayman or something like that. Or, or you're this violent, um, aggressive person, which is completely untrue. Uh, as somebody who has a, um, you know, autistic family member, um, I can tell you that it's, you know, I, I, I haven't really seen any Hollywood film that addresses autism in a realistic manner and, and shows what it is because it's just, it's so complex and you just can't that's a problem with film i don't think you can necessarily explore it that well uh i I don't think you can explore it easily in a dramatic sense Mm. you you can explore it in a documentary sense i mean yes and i think what is interesting in terms of joker is that it implies that if you suffer from childhood trauma you're never really going to recover from that and that's not necessarily true because people who have been, you know, through abuse as a child or whatever, it, you know, that could be whether it could just be neglected emotionally by your parent or, you know, physical abuse. Uh, it implies that you're never going to be able to escape that. And I think that's actually quite a very hurtful and harmful thing to to put forward uh, because, you know, spoilers we find out about what happened in joker's childhood um arthur's childhood and um it it doesn't it, it also doesn't address uh his mother's own condition all that well and i um, you know it's it's it just left yeah it left me with a very bad taste in my mouth um yeah, like- i think it, yeah, it gives sorry. you like a a recipe on how to create a psychopath. Like you have to like, not that I would ever do this to anyone. You have to beat them as a child. You have to emotionally beat them as a child. Then you have to give them medication. Then you have to take it away. You have to continue to emotionally abuse them as an adult, and then just put them in a city that isn't going to be very nice to them. And then you'll instantly get a bunch of jokers. Like it's just like it gives you like a recipe on how this person was created. And it just I really didn't like that because there are plenty of people who have suffered 
horrible things in their lives and they're completely well adjusted and normal and superhuman and creating all sorts of wonderful things as an adult and I so like I really didn't like that message either where like if something happens to you as a child you'll never get over it I think it's interesting we had the Joker uh, Joker come out and then we also had Honey Boy yeah and they both came out in the same year and they both have uh you know uh, involve uh you know young male uh white cisgendered protagonists who go through childhood trauma and one implies that you can recover from it and it doesn't define who you are and it doesn't hold you back from uh loving yourself and the other implies that there's no hope whatsoever (laughs) super villain yeah Um, last i checked shia labeouf was not a super villain no uh he's super uh but uh it's not a super villain he Uh, might be a good super villain in a movie i could see that but not in real life no i mean although he did start in transformers so he did well that was kind of that was his adjustment phase from child actor to adults here you need a a weird franchise to kind of evolve This this is true Every every child actor needs a weird franchise to to adjust. Look at you know, uh, look at Twilight. <laughs> Our pets. That's how he did it. Now he's like the A twenty four darling. And he talking about Joker. He's going to be Batman. So and that's I don't think they've put ba- um, Joker in that film yet. They have everyone else. So like every Who other. Knows? <laughs> they've got Penguin and Riddler. Paul Dano's going to be in that too. Oh. Full circle. (laughs) Um, Stephen, what about you? Were there any films that you consider to be a poor representation? Yeah, I'm going to pick two at the same time because they are representative of a theme. So like Kate, I also did a bit of Googling in preparation for this. So I knew the films (laughs) I wanted to talk about, but I was kind of interested in what websites which are concerned with mental health thought of movies um, and, and, and a common theme was that the, the, one of the big issues with um, representing things in movies is, is I talked about in, in the last film in Kotoko about the sort of the auditory hallucinations about the way that people often with schizophrenia will, will see things that aren't there, hear things which aren't happening. Um, and, and, and where Kotoko, I thought, did it really well in that it, it, it's about a perception adjustment um films like shutter island and a beautiful mind which both deal with people a protagonist who who are have had well in a beautiful mind's case it, it's somebody with with paranoid schizophrenia in shutter island's case it's someone who's got some kind of post-traumatic stress issue are interacting with their hallucinations to a degree which it just doesn't happen like that so when people see things and hear things they can't interact with them they can't get in a car with Russian agents that don't exist Um, and in I mean Shutter Island Shutter Island is is just stupid entertainment yeah I, I, I get it um it may have DiCaprio it might have Scorsese it might have all those things but it's it sets an impression of people with mental illness, people that have suffered PTSD or people with, with something more chemically um, issues with them that when they, when they say they see things and hear things that they can interact with them. Um, 
I have a bit of a personal experience of this. My my grandmother, um, she's deaf, and she for, for reasons basically she got an infected gallbladder, which for some reason affected her mental state, and she literally did hear people she thought people were upstairs plotting against her and she could hear them and she and and, and that led her to do some pretty crazy things and luckily when they realized that this infected gallbladder was the issue and they check it out it all stopped literally overnight um crazy i know but that that really happened but at no point did she interact with these 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 sights and sounds and these feelings and these impressions that she was having and um and whilst I understand them as artistic devices, the danger is in these kind of films lead us to believe those of us that are that are of healthy mind and soul lead us to believe that, that the people who are inflicted by are, are interacting with these in, in a way which just just isn't the case. Yeah, the, I think it's a very good point to make. Yeah, Beautiful Mind was one of those I found that many people thought it was a good example and many people thought it was a bad example. Um, it was very split. And um, but I I agree with you with the um, showing that they can people who can hear or have visual auditory hallucinations can interact with them. Um, I feel like that's amplified for the sake of storytelling in movies, mm-hmm. um, which I understand. It's very hard to portray certain things on film so that an audience can understand it. But you also shouldn't make that like the standard so that every single person that has schizophrenia in a movie is going to have full body hallucinations that they can interact with and touch and hear because then people who who do not know about those conditions will be like, oh, well, they just see things and they run around talking to them all day. That's not true. Um, And I think movies like those have kind of normalized it as, oh, that's exactly how it is in real life. And it's just not the case. It's funny you just said the word split. Because that made me think of Split, <laughs> yeah, that movie, <laughs> the film, which really doesn't deal with um, multiple personality disorder in a really good way at all. I think James um, McAvoy was great, but the movie was not. I think no. he 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 did a good job playing all sorts of people, but I don't think it portrayed the condition very well. And no, I... and there's a so do you know of the the the, the book When Rabbit Howls by Trudy Chase? So, no. okay, so this this is a book written by Trudy Chase. Um, I can't remember when it came out, but she really did have dissociative personality disorder. Um, and it was a very popular book in the, I think I want to say the 70s. Um, and I do think, and, and she's an incredibly unique case. Yeah, it, 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 this is not a common thing, but it, she really did have multiple personalities. And unfortunately, that book and, and and the writings around it, I think there may have been a TV movie about it. I can't remember. But that seems to have inspired a whole generation as to that's what MPD is. Um, mm. And and yeah, the, that, that, that split sort of takes that and, and runs with that. Now, the good news is there aren't many people with this disorder, but it's how people with similar or partial disorders that that equate to that again might be represented um you know i kind of enjoyed split but i absolutely hear what you're saying um and that and funnily enough the other m night Shyamalan film that the site i was i think it was the mind site i was looking at um really criticized the visit 
which mm-hmm. was his previous film, um, where you know you've basically got two old people who are clearly in uh, suffering from Alzheimer's. Um, those people cannot plot a kidnapping. Yeah. But they would not physically or mentally be able to perform that activity. And then so and, and it's a scare story. Um, it's 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 a shortcut to probably the most obvious twist in all his movies, you know. But that, that's not their parents. Spoilers. But yeah, I, I think I think that that director Chalaman is a little bit guilty of leaning on pop culture views yeah. of mental illness i feel um, like he's just gets the wikipedia page and like yep. browses it and he's like okay dub do that's that's my basis of my screenplay <laughs> yeah and and you know I'm, I'm sure he's not the only one who does that but he's you know he's a on the whole a pretty popular director and that there's a is there not a duty of care to your audience mm-hmm. i don't know maybe that's a deeper a deeper question but um it certainly seemed to concern the sort of the, the mental health professionals in, in how these things were being presented, because it just sets, it's like we've said all along, I guess, is that it, set, it, it can set common misperceptions mm-hmm. of what these conditions are like. Yeah, and I think um, uh, our duty as viewers and also as, as critics are to... Um, recognize when films are portraying certain things in a um in a negative aspect or a a misconceived way and bring attention to it and not necessarily um just say that the film's bad uh but say to expand on that reason and to to state the the damage and the harm that could occur um as a result of these movies but um, yeah um i i i really enjoyed our our discussion i found it very interesting i think that we've brought up some really good points is there anything that you want to add or anything that you're going to take away from from this discussion today other than there's lots of films that I still haven't watched. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to come away with a list of movies I need to watch. And um, it's 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 a sensitive topic, but I think it's a good one to talk about, especially to see other people's experiences and how they react to things. I think it's a good, because not everyone's going to feel the same way as you about, like, depression. So maybe it's nice to see, like, oh, this is how, you know, someone else feels and how... So they relate to it more than I do. I like I like that. That's my like in general my favorite thing about film is to see how other people react to things and how it makes them feel and how they feel about like if they liked it or didn't like it. And so I love that's why I love these chats so I can hear everyone else's thoughts. And and also mental illness is something which even if it doesn't affect you directly, it's almost guaranteed that that someone one degree or two degrees of separation away from you, someone who you interact with or have interacted with closely is going to suffer at some time in their life. Um, and I think it's important to make sure that our, the films that we watch don't impact our ability to empathise, understand and help those people, or indeed ourselves when they're hurt by it or impacted by it. 
That's a very good point to make. Well, um, Stephen and Kate, thank you so much for joining me. And also James, who uh, unfortunately had to dash off. Um, as always, you can check out uh, intheirownleague.com. Uh, we have just had our site newly vamped over. Um, what are your sort of opinions? Putting you both on the spot now, what do you think of the new site? <laughs> I like I like the images. I think it makes it easier to browse when you can see the picture because I'm a visual person. Mm -hmm. So I like to see the pictures and the title and it's like, oh, that looks interesting. I'll click on that one. So I think it looks great. Oh, good. Yeah. And, and I, I agree. I think film is on the whole a visual medium, obviously, the, 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 there's music and talking and all that stuff as well. But, you know, if you, if you take film back to its roots, it's about the visual. And I think having a site which looks more visual um, just just work, work, works right for a film website. So well done, creative director and editor-in-chief and the other <laughs> role that you have. <laughs> uh, yes, it took a while because I am a perfectionist, so I had to make sure it was, everything was right. The font <laughs> size, I was like uh, messing around with it, and it took me a long time, but I'm pretty happy with how it is. So, um, you know, we've got some great pieces on men uh, for mental health uh, awareness month over there you can check out morgan's wonderful piece on i tonya which i really enjoyed she went into sort of trauma uh, and uh, abuse uh, which i found was very compelling read um there was also joan's piece looking at uh, a beautiful mind as well which was a very interesting read and the the story behind that uh, and there's uh, a lot of other great pieces on there uh, i believe kaz has done a a really great piece as well on the portrayal of suicide in comedy films she also brings up Harold and Maud in that as well uh, so head over to In Their Own League you can also follow us on Twitter at Their League and um, Stephen where can you find us? So you should be able, I mean obviously you're listening to this podcast now so you should have found us already however we are on iTunes we are on Spotify you should be able to use some um, services like Podbean and Podomatic to find us the only place you won't find us is Google Podcasts because they are anti-British Boo <laughs> <laughs> But I'll uh, fix it Yeah good old good old Stephen <laughs> well until next time thank you so much for listening and um, we'll catch you in our future episode take care now and all the best bye